Because casting is collaboration, right? In, you know, at the studio network level, you're not just trying to find the right person for the role. You're trying to find the right person in the eyes of the showrunner if it's television sometimes the showrunner and the executive producers and the directors and um and then the studio and the network everyone has their own idea of who is appropriate for a role Mm -hmm. for various reasons like the network has um, a demographic that they think they're catering to um, which can be limiting or helpful but you have to sort of understand these different perspectives and desires and interpret it and, and maintain your own taste and integrity. And so doing these, these other projects like these independents, these shorts, these student films, I can really fuel my own creativity. Welcome to episode 55 of the Hollywood Hustle podcast, where we will be sharing the stories and struggles of a casting associate turned documentary filmmaker and how she survives the city of dreams, Los Angeles. My name is Michael Lutheran, and I am so thankful to have you joining us today for the start of an exciting new interview series with Beth Ryan, a casting associate who currently works for Burroughs Boland Casting. In today's Act One interview, our host Daniel Tuttle sits down with Beth to talk all things casting. What led her down this path? Why she kept coming back to Los Angeles? That's right, we have an actual Angelino on the pod, folks what it takes to work in casting, and she also gives us a behind-the-scenes insight of some of the projects that she's cast. Just a heads up, you may hear some meowing or mic bumps during the interview. No, it was not me, but Beth's adorable cats that wanted to give their perspective on the matter. Make sure to stick around after the interview to hear more about Beth's Kickstarter campaign for her moving documentary, Feeling Seen, and hear some clips from their Kickstarter trailer. We will be talking a lot more about Feeling Seen and Beth's Act 2 coming next week. Then, Daniel joins me for some updates and takeaways from this exciting interview. And finally, we each give you some hustle support to get you through the week and add to your superhero utility belt, or gauntlet, as you make strides on your own journey. Now, let the hustle begin. Today we have a very special guest. She is a Los Angeles native. She has gone from stage manager to casting associate. She has helped cast such titles as American Gothic for CBS, uh, Land of Happy Dreams from our good friend Josh Otter, and the new Amazon series Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. She previously worked for April Webster. Now she is with Burroughs Boland Casting. Please welcome the super talented and amazing Beth Ryan. Hello. 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 How are you? I'm well. I'm very happy to be talking oh. with you today. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with us. We're super excited to have you. We've we've talked to Josh, and he said nothing but bad things about you. So we Expected. just had to see it for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Josh. He said very nice things about you. Uh, so let's just start off with the beginning. You know, where are you from? What was your family like growing up? Do you have any brothers and sisters? Just kind of give us a rundown of your early days. Sure. Um, I'm, as you said, I'm a Los Angeles native. Uh, I grew up in Arcadia, which is east of Pasadena, so the San Gabriel Valley, the other valley. Um, I ha- I grew up with my mom and my dad, and I have two younger sisters. Um, we have we had a lot of fun growing <laughs> up. Yeah. Uh, were you a active kid growing up, or were you more of a homebody when you grew as you grew up? 
Oh, I, I was I was definitely an active kid, yeah. and and like a tunnel focused kind of kid. Oh, I, really? I, I only wanted to do theater. Oh, that's, that's uh, yeah. What when did you discover theater? What was your first memory of like theater or film uh, that you can remember? My first memory was in kindergarten doing the little red hen, and I was the narrator and ran screaming and crying off stage because <laughs> I was so shy and embarrassed. <laughs> But I redeemed myself the I think the following year. Oh, nice. um, my parents got me into a children's theater company, and I was six and was in a kids' co- production of Annie Get Your Gun. Okay, and did a few a few plays with them, and then um, I you know always did drama in um, in school. Nice, yeah, very cool. <laughs> uh, what was your what what attracted you to theater? What did, what did, what was it about it that just felt right with you. And it's it's so hard to to explain. It it, it really, I mean really it was it was like a homecoming. Mm-hmm. Um there was nowhere else I'd want to be mm-hmm. than in a space that had a stage and, and yeah, I mean sure I was a ham but it wasn't about that. Mm-hmm. Um I mean I'll, I'll, for instance, I did three plays from three from 6 to 9. And then, and then nothing again until I was 12. And I did a play when I was 12 because I had like a hysterical crying fit at the dinner table with my parents about how my soul was, was hurting and I was broken because it had been three years (laughs) since I'd been in a proper play and I didn't know how to go on. Like this was a real void in me. So my parents found, um, my dad works for JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory Mm -hmm. and at, um, which is affiliated with Caltech Mm -hmm. and being in Arcadia, the next city over is Pasadena and the, California Institute of Technology has a theater de- department. Mm-hmm. I've actually auditioned have you? there for something when I first moved here. Did you? Yeah, I auditioned for like a student film. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah um, I grew up there because they they invite, um, they, they call it Caltech community. So people affiliated with JPL or Caltech and their families. Mm-hmm. And I, my family would do plays together there. Oh, and it was awesome. because I had a void in my soul. <laughs> you, needed that, that's, you needed that you needed that refreshment for your soul right. that was just drained by, after three years. So dramatic. <laughs> um, did you have any, any other interests outside of theater? Were you into sports or any kind of like clubs, like uh, uh, journalism or debate or anything like that? I think I, like, I, I liked theater tech and technology, um, even though... I am not technically minded at all. I think I just liked the clothes and the tools, but didn't know how to use them. Right. So, I, so I was like in sound crew in high school before I went. I, I did one year at Arcadia High School, and then I went to LA County High School for the Arts. But really, I just liked wearing the headset. Mm-hmm. I, of um, course, you feel so like important with a headset. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked having a Makita drill and having a crescent wrench in my back pocket. <laughs> I could focus some lights, but I really am not technically minded at all. No. No, it was really just theater and film. Okay. Um, what's your first memory of film? Like your first memory of like, wow, that that's what film can do. Mm. That's a good question. I didn't really think about that. Um, um, I guess not really like what film could do, but right. I would say that Mel Brooks movies shaped me. Oh, okay. And it, and unconsciously it showed me what film could do because anytime like in my teenage years and beyond, if I would feel down or depressed, I could just recall a line from one of his films and 
it, it was really helpful. Right. <laughs> and that's that's really powerful. No, My absolutely. cat is on the. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that. Yeah. Mel Brooks was definitely an influence for me. And I'm sure I know from Michael as well growing up where you see these movies that definitely could not be made today because there would be such an uproar over them, but are made so well where people can still watch them now, though, and not get in an uproar because they understand where they're coming from and this weird underlying of political commentary Absolutely. in them as well. And and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a casting person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not films that shaped my influence, mm-hmm. that influenced me, it's performances. Mm-hmm. Performances that I will carry with me always. Like, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell you some very basic details about, you know, my life, but right. I, I could tell you about certain performances that I remember from when I was nine right. that are completely influenced how I see the world. Now, when uh, you grew up in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. uh, what makes L.A. different from other cities, do you think? Um, yeah, L.A. is is really unique. Mm-hmm. And I think it has, uh, in part, its geography mm-hmm. that we have these mountains and these valleys, um, which can really isolate I've lived in New York and I've lived in Tel Aviv. Oh, wow. Yeah. And when I grew up in Los Angeles, as I said, it was the San Gabriel Valley, so it didn't really feel like L.A. And it wasn't until I went to LAXA, the L.A. County High School of the Arts, that I really started to explore more of the city. Mm-hmm. And since coming back from New York, I've lived in many parts of Los Angeles. Um, so, yeah, the geography, having the ocean mm-hmm. um, and the desert and the mountains all accessible is really fantastic. Um, but also, it it isn't a city that builds up vertically it's a city that builds horizontally mm-hmm. also because of geography um so it's a car, it's car culture mm-hmm. it's so there's a lot of time spent alone or time spent with the radio or nobody listens to the radio anymore your your cell phone whatever right. um so it's a little bit more isolated uh, the, the, you have to you can find anything you want and, and pretty much any person you want in Los mm. Angeles, but you have to be a little bit more proactive about finding it, I think. Right. Whereas in places like New York, um, you're all together on the subway if you take the subway. Right. Yeah. I feel like one of the things with Los Angeles that I really love and that you know I found when I moved here was that there's so many different ways to get different perspectives of the city itself where it's not just flat land surrounding it. There's so much beauty surrounding LA plus so many spaces in LA to kind of go a little higher and see the city from above and just get a different perspective of everything going on. And which kind of fits with how LA has so many people with so many different perspectives. And I find that so this so invigorating that you can just kind of escape the city even while you're still in the city a little bit. Right. And it's also easy to, to sort of become a hermit in your own community and never venture out, mm-hmm. which, which, um, I mean, I find that dangerous <laughs> <laughs> and boring, but you right. know, each their own. Right. <laughs> but yeah. Nice. Um, now what is, uh, uh, what's an experience that you've had here in LA, uh, that maybe challenged you that or challenged your resolve to stay in LA that maybe you overcame? Was there a moment in your life where you were kind of like, I'm over this town, I'm, I'm ready to go, and maybe found a way to kind of find peace with that? Um, 
Yeah, because I did leave. <laughs> then I came back. And actually, I left again. Right. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard that people who aren't from here, when they when they transplant here, it can take a good five years to get used to Los Angeles, and um, and that's true. It is for my wife, who's from New York, and for a lot of my friends who aren't from here. If you don't love it right away, it can take five years, mm-hmm. and I found that true for myself as well because I left wanting something else and came back, and wasn't sure that I liked it. Uh, and it took about five years and I'm in love with this city. Now. Right. Absolutely in love with it. Um, what, what was challenging? And then I, I guess. Like, well, I guess what was it that pushed you to leave both times? Was it traffic just work? was a really, really, <laughs> no, I had, I used to commute from Pasadena to El Segundo. Oh, and this was man. before, this was before iPhones right. or there were iPhones, but I didn't have one. So it was before I had GPS and I literally just took, the 101. Mm. No, I'm sorry, the 110. Right. And then, and before Pasadena, I was in Monrovia and I would take the 605. Um, and to a job I didn't like. Mm. This was before Cass. Oh, hold on. A, a job, a job that was um, not for me. Right. Um, so I was pretty miserable. Yeah. Oh, I can, I, I can imagine that drive being yeah, it was rough. the worst. Um, what, what differences did you notice between, uh, New York and LA that you could really point out? Uh, weather is a big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, for true. Yeah. And I, you know, it was kind of a novelty and fun for me at first when I lived there, but I, I really, I really think that this, um, it, this force forcible mix mm-hmm. that you have in New York where everybody, um, is all together on this, this Island, um, that's that's something I love about New York. I love the energy of New York. I love um, the, the theater in New York, although I have to say there's amazing theater in Los Angeles. Um, but it's a little bit harder to get to. That's another difference. In New York, um, it's easier to go out, and people do go out. And in L.A., uh, a lot of times, last minute, we kind of decide, eh, I don't really think I want to make the drive. I don't want to find parking. Mm-hmm. But I think with Uber and Lyft, that's changing things. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like that, that's definitely where it take you can go oh it's only 3 blocks in new york here it's like oh it's 20 blocks mm-hmm. and it's not and there's nothing really close per se yeah. except maybe a few things but usually those aren't the things you want to go do right. that are close by um why do you think people beyond the dream of hollywood why do you think people move here and then why do you think they stay again i think weather has a lot to do with that yeah i totally um, agree with that it's hard it's hard in if in um I mean, especially lately, global, I'm going to talk about global warming, but you know, it's, it's, I was, Hot in, topic. yeah, I was in New York for Sandy and it was not pleasant. I'm sure. Um, so I think that, so New York has that energy flow that you feel like a lot of times, especially in the nightlife. Right. Um, but you can kind of get that in LA anytime because usually the weather's so good. So you can get out and go for an amazing hike or go to the beach or, you know, so I think that, um, at least for me, I feel alive when I can be outside and and there's sunshine and, um, I guess maybe I have like a seasonal defect disorder thing or whatever. And, um, so there is something to be said for some sunshine. Um, and also, yeah, the dream of Hollywood, but there's a history. Yeah. L.A. L.A. is not like New York and Boston and well, not Boston, but New York and San Francisco and Chicago, which are sort of like 19th century mm-hmm. style um, cities, which are amazing. L.A. is more recent. It's newer. Mm-hmm. But there is a longstanding history um, 
uh, an indigenous history, uh, local history that I think is so vibrant. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I don't know. There's, there's just a lot that this town has to offer. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some of your favorite things to do in this town? I love um, the local eateries. <laughs> I enjoy, uh, there, there's a lot of fun restaurants and brunching and lunching and dinnering <laughs> that goes on here. Absolutely. <laughs> Many different cuisines, um, styles of food. Uh, honestly, my favorite thing is, is to go see a show, is to go to some theater. Uh, that's always nice. Do you have a particular theater that you prefer or that mm. you enjoy? That, not that you enjoy the most, but that you kind of go to more than the others? I mean, the, the Mark Taper Forum and the Kirk Douglas, I guess, are my favorite fancier theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really love Celebration Theater. Mm-hmm. And I love um, what the LGBT Center does. Absolutely. Um, I also like, I like, um, what else do I like? The, the Broad. I'm sorry, not the Broad. I do like the Broad, but I like the Road Theater a lot. Um, and then the other thing that I've I've recently been into is um, Korean spas. I've been introduced Ooh. to that recently, <laughs> and um, that's sort of life changing and very liberating and fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Those are always nice yeah. when you get the chance to go to something like that. Uh, so, why do you think LA is the perfect city for film? What is it about it that kind of keeps it majorly here? Obviously, the studios are here, but what is it about the city that just works for it? Do you think? Um, once again, weather has a, has a big, um, it has a lot to do with it. You can shoot just about any time of the year. It's like, like if you're training for triathlon or you're an athlete, you don't have to worry about, um, the weather for the most part, it's going to, it's going to help you. And there are so many, um, uh, the geography is so diverse in LA. You can, you can get out to Joshua tree or to Lancaster, the desert, if you need to. And that could be any number of, of, um, locations, uh, real to this earth or imagined. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you have the mountains, um, yeah. where you could shoot any number of forests and, um, the ocean. It's, there's also, um, I think, uh, an understanding and a respect for film culture here. Um, and, a passion. And, and even though that's not tangible, I think that's important. Absolutely. Yeah. I think especially you don't have as much as the people uh, trying to bother you as much when you're filming because it's such an everyday right. part of the culture here in a lot of ways. You see a film that you usually just drive by. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's yeah. Sweet. They're filming here. Or, oh, God, they're filming here. Mm-hmm. It's going to be terrible over here. That said, though, um, I haven't, I've only worked on one show, two shows that actually shoot here. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. it's definitely expanding yeah. past here in a lot of ways. Vancouver, oh, yeah. um, uh, Atlanta, definitely other Louisiana. A lot of different places are really booming mm-hmm. in the, in the world of film. Um, so when it came to to, to casting, uh, how did you go from actor or you know sound setup behind the scenes? How did you go from that to casting? What was what was the evolution of that? Okay, so my trajectory is a little bit more complicated than okay. that and longer than that. Oh, absolutely. I wasn't trying to belittle <laughs> no, 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 no. Your, your journey. It wasn't like you woke up one day, oh, casting director. No, but I didn't I didn't let you know ahead of time. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I went from, I, I wouldn't even say act, like I wasn't a professional actor. I trained in acting and I trained in, in theater. But um, I, I went from that and then like uh, technical theater where, where I was getting paid to nonprofit development administrative assistant to grad student um, in Middle Eastern history to back to nonprofit as a campaign manager, back to grad school, 
where I quickly became a PhD dropout, mm-hmm. um, to unemployment, <laughs> and and during that year of trying to figure it out, um, that's that's when I found casting. Uh, what what was it that kind of sparked the interest or sparked the that that journey into that? So um, my. My wife and I were watching television and we were watching the Glee Project. Yeah, I think I was just very passionately uh, advocating some of those kids. And uh, I can be very passionate when watching television. (laughs) It's it's a bit of an event. And um, Robert Ulrich, who uh, was the casting director for that, Mm -hmm. appeared on the show. He was sort of the liaison between the, Mm -hmm. the contestants and the creative team. My wife said, what does he do? that's what you should do. You do that anyway. You do it all the time. What is it that he does? And, um, so I looked him up and saw that he was a, he was a casting director mm-hmm. and that led me into a, a, you know, a deep research period right. where I was just looking up everything there was to know about casting. Saw any video on casting I could find. I watched the documentary casting by, I watched interviews with casting directors and thought, Oh wow. I really, I do do this. I have been doing this my whole life. Right. Um, and a friend of mine wa- used to be a casting assistant on the Gilmore Girls. She's, you know, years ago, since uh, started doing other things and was still good friends with the person who'd been that casting director, who's Jamie Rudofsky, who's since become one of my closest friends. And uh, she just introduced us by email. Mm-hmm. This is someone who might be interested in getting into casting. Mm-hmm. And Jamie, would you be willing to meet with her? So we had coffee. And she was very honest about what the the career is like and her trajectory and the highs and the lows and the positives and the negatives. You know, it's it's a career. It has all of it. Right. And invited me to sit along or sit in on some of the casting sessions she was holding for some of the independent projects that she was working on. Nice. And that happens a lot, um, I think. So you meet somebody and, you know, they open their heart to you. And so I started... I would read for her at auditions. I would run camera for her. She had me over to her house and showed me some of the um, the the more administrative stuff that and the, and the websites that they use. And, so she really yeah. mentored you, kind of into this business. Yeah, and that and then through that, I got a an internship. And I mean, it's it's really not this. I think was it before the law changed. Um, yeah, I got it. I got an internship, and that very quickly turned into an assistant position. Not with her, um, mm. but yeah. Nice. Was that was was that with April Webster? No, that was with Risa Bremen Garcia. Okay, um, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, we we did the second season of Masters of Sex, and that was my first oh, real nice. job. Absolutely, mm-hmm. uh, I think Michael may have mentioned that a while back. Yeah, uh, that was great. Uh, absolutely, that's fantastic. I had a great show to work on too, as well. It's especially oh, yeah. such a different period, kind of a period piece to work with as well. Yeah, it was so interesting. I'm sure. Um, now you were a stage manager mm-hmm. in college, correct? Oh yeah. And after that's right. I yeah. didn't even, during that year when, between coming back from graduate school, um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of went back to what I know, mm-hmm. which is theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I got a job stage managing at the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in LA right. and became one of their resident stage managers. What about, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to piece these together. Mm-hmm. What, what from stage managing did you take into casting? Mm-hmm. What, 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 because I mean, there, I mean, as a stage, I have so much respect for people that are especially professional stage managers and mm-hmm. even people that do it in school mm-hmm. because there's so much organization that goes through it. You're the connection between so many different people and so many things. What, you know, how did that help you with like inside a casting room or the administrative stuff with casting? 
Yeah, that's a great question. There are a lot of parallels. Um, I think m- mainly in preparing for auditions, mm-hmm. setting up those auditions, uh, being a liaison. Um, the thing I like about stage managing is is the mama bear element of it. The the person who takes care of everyone, make sure that everyone has what they need and that they're 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 okay. I, I can definitely tell just by meeting you today. <laughs> you definitely have that like I want to make sure everybody's great, and right. comforting personality of just like want to make sure everybody's calm and happy where they are. Well, thank you. I definitely feel that from you. Awesome. Um, But what I don't like about stage managing or what wasn't satisfying to me is that there's absolutely no creative component. And casting, uh, we are, I like to say that casting is the ambassador um, between the talent, the creative team, and the the studios and the networks. Um, And you have to sort of interpret everyone's needs and desires mm-hmm. in fulfilling a role. Um, and I, I feel a huge responsibility for actors, for protecting actors. Um, and I think that is something that I had in stage managing. Right. But the, yeah, the organizational skills, all that, the, the, the part that I don't love, mm-hmm. it definitely comes in handy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, so you were interning mm-hmm. uh, with, with uh, at first. How, how, what did you learn from that that took you to the next step of being a casting assistant. What how, kind of, what was the evolution to that? Well, Risa was great because, um, she, I was only an intern for two weeks mm-hmm. and there was another intern there who, who had been with her for a while. And, um, she, she kind of, you know, I was, I was older. I wasn't like straight out of college. I was mm-hmm. in my early thirties. Um, and so she, with work experience, which I think was helpful for me, she didn't have to like have somebody train me, right. um, in how to do basic office administrative stuff. Uh, so, so she hired two of us as casting assistants on that project and we both trained simultaneously, um, which, which was a wonderful opportunity. So I didn't really have to, um, I didn't have to intern for very long at all. Oh, great. So you kind of had a quick Mm -hmm. setup to that. Now, Mm -hmm. um, what's the difference between an intern and a casting assistant? What, what are the, what are the, some of the different jobs you might have in those various uh, positions? Um, I would say a casting assistant does everything that an intern does. Mm -hmm. But if you are fortunate enough to have an office that has an intern, they're going to relieve some of the responsibility from the assistant. Right. So that they might do some data entry um, and, and uh, they they might set put out the sign-in sheets or um, make photocopies, uh, bring people into the, the audition room. There's also, in addition to interns, you'll have re- some casting offices have readers. Mm-hmm. Some casting directors prefer to read with the actors or have their associates read with actors. And mm-hmm. some casting directors like to have actors as readers. Right. There's any number of things that an intern can do. Right. Yeah. So what, as a casting assistant, what, what are the jobs and the duties there? Is it, obviously, some of the similar stuff, run, you know, running the outside of the room, um, bringing in people, stuff like that. Is there any kind of extra stuff maybe an intern wouldn't do in that sense? Um. It really depends on the office, but I, I can just say like the duties of the casting assistant, very often they'll run camera mm-hmm. in a, an audition room. Sometimes interns will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't really worked as, as a casting assistant or associate in an office that has interns only once. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, and that was because the, the workload was so high and we had a very high level intern who had been an assistant and some independent projects come and help us with that. Right. Um, so there's the basic administrative stuff of answering calls and, but, but, but the thing to understand about being a casting assistant is that it's different from being like an executive assistant or an assistant to a casting right. director. It is 
you're not someone's personal assistant. Right. You're the assistant for the casting office of a particular project. Right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not the personal assistant. You're, no. you're the person helping with everything going on in the casting sense. Right. So, so it's not just like phones and filing. It's right. phones and filing and helping make lists sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes, um, sometimes running camera, sometimes. Right. Yeah. There's any number of <laughs> wonderful creative things. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so how long were you with Risa? Am I saying that? Just one project. Okay. Uh, Risa Raymond Garcia, Masters of Sex. Mm-hmm. And then um, then I bounced around for about a year. Right. And I cobbled together <laughs> something <laughs> for myself. The, the great thing about meeting Jamie right off the bat is and, and helping her out um, with her independent projects is that it showed me what it's like to be an independent casting director, to book a, an audition room, to to have something um, not at the studio level. Right. So that actually gave me a confidence to, to pursue um, like student films or say yes to Josh when he asked if I would do something. I think if I had started um, with just a studio job right away, I wouldn't have known what was possible. Mm-hmm. So I... I did that, and then I, I worked in an, um, on a, a non-union show, two non-union shows for Lifetime uh, Television Network, mm. um, which is also really valuable to see what it's like to work on a non-union show, right. hiring non-union actors. It's and it was um, like docudramas, and so that was a very different style of, of television, a different kind of work. Mm. Absolutely. Now, when did you uh, join up with April Webster? So April was right after. So uh, during that year that I was piecing things together, mm-hmm. I got a job um, at at Paramount with Joseph Middleton and um, worked in that office on a feature that ended up going away. But that was that was like sort of my reentry. <laughs> 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 and that led to. Um, no, he was first before Joseph. It was. No, you know, that, that led me to I'm Dying Up Here, which which is uh, so fantastic. The Jim Carrey show, mm-hmm. Showtime, right? Mm-hmm. Risa Bremen Garcia works very closely with Bernard Telsey. And um, Bernard Telsey, who, if, if you guys aren't familiar with casting, look him up and prepare to swoon <laughs> with the projects he's worked on in theater, television, and film. Oh, sure. oh gosh, amazing. And so he, he started an office out here and uh, the casting director who opened the office out here is Tiffany Little Canfield and Risa recommended me as the assistant. And uh, so I worked on that. And then when that project was over, they didn't have something for me. So I ended up going to April Webster's office. Um, the associate and I'm dying up here had been her assistant, had been April's assistant. Gotcha. So she needed a new, it's all who you she know, needed a new assistant. Yep. Right. Nice. So yeah. just kind of happened a nice, happy happenstance that, she had something free up that you were able to kind of fit into. Right. Well, well, I'd worked with April uh, with with Rachel, right. who was the associate, and uh, she said, "I think April's looking for somebody." So yeah, oh, it was awesome. it was perfect. It, I mean, it really. I mean, the constant theme in this show is with us is really just it really is who you know in a lot Always. of ways in the city. Um, so you, you became cast associate. Now you worked with. Uh, hopefully, I have these right with at least three shows that I know of mm-hmm. um, with April Webster mm-hmm. as an assistant and slash associate associate on some things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the new Jack Ryan series on yes, Amazon, yes. Um, Altered Carbon for yes. Netflix, and then uh, American Gothic on CBS. Um, can you kind of just go through your time with April Webster and maybe working and maybe on some of these shows, some of the highlights or hard hardships with some of these shows? Absolutely. Um, I think it was two and a half years that I was with April and that it was the most 
formative, important nurturing time in my career. It really, really was so important. She's so invested in her staff and in the cultivation of, of our development as people as you know overall as people but but also as artists and and casting people um april really is i mean she's an artist casting director casting is an art i believe that's a name that people recognize oh my goodness april webster is just a known name in a lot of ways so fortunate absolutely all three of the shows you mentioned are very different from each other absolutely yeah and so um american gothic uh cbs um uh, what's it called? Uh, CBS Ensemble Series, mm-hmm. um, and that was a lot of fun because I, I like ensemble shows more show more more parts to cast, right. and it shot in Canada, um, and that's where I really learned about the difference between casting for series regulars in LA and and then the the local casting that happens elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a great experience because the um, like the showrunner was right there, accessible to us. I really, I really got in, in integrated into how casting a show works from the inside, as opposed to like my first few jobs. It's sort of like you're you're just trying to do everything and do it all right, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, I could really see the the overview right. um, through American Gothic. That was a really um, it was a great experience nice. um, behind the scenes. Altered Carbon is one of my favorites. Um, because it was international casting, which is, I mean, that's in my wheelhouse. I love that. I love that. Um, so we were casting all over the world. We were getting, you know, self-tapes in from Southeast Asia, South Asia, London, uh, everywhere. I mean, we were, we were looking at um, Native American actors and, and actors in South America and Central America. It was Fantastic. It was so creative um, and integrative. And it's, it was absolutely, that's, that's the kind of casting I am excited about, right. you know, racially diverse, ethnically diverse, religiously diverse, mm-hmm. culturally diverse, hopefully one day gender diversity <laughs> <laughs> and sexuality absolutely. diversity. Um, so that was just fun. I mean, it was very challenging. It was extremely challenging, but creatively it was a ton of fun. So you know, one of the newer shows that's coming out soon, I think it's coming out in February, I want to say, um, is Tom Clancy's uh, uh, Jack Ryan. <laughs> the I cats. just walked His through the microphone. These cats are crazy. These cats are insane. <laughs> um, so you have Jack Ryan with uh, John Krasinski, mm-hmm. John Krasinski mm-hmm. um, as Jack Ryan, which is the, it's, he's the fifth person to play Jack Ryan, um, which I found a fun fact recently that I guess everyone that's played Jack Ryan has been in a movie with the guy who originally played it, Adam Bald or Alec Baldwin. So like they always, all of them have connections with Alec Baldwin in some form or fashion, which so we, I found really interesting. It should be like six degrees of yeah, yeah of okay. Alec Baldwin right. with Jack Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was that process like, especially for? Uh, I mean, obviously this is a high uh, show for them that they're really banking on, uh, putting a lot of work into. Uh, what was that like? What was that casting uh, like? Was John Krasinski attached at the beginning? Yes, yes, he was attached. Okay. Um, so. He, Jack Ryan was extremely challenging and and great. It's actually one of the casts that I'm the most excited about and proud of. I, I love um, I love this cast. It's, it's now, were you a casting assistant with us, or mm-hmm. were you casting associate? Assistant. Okay, assistant. It was my okay. it was my last assistant job. I think okay. that's what got me promoted. It was time. <laughs> but um, the thing that made Jack Ryan so challenging is um, is something that we're seeing more and more of in television um, because there's 
television is, is so exciting right now. Mm. It's really where you have so much creative, interesting work. And it is starting to get shot like film. Mm -hmm. So Jack Ryan was eight episodes shot in four locations. Oh, wow. Um, which meant that usually in, episode, in episodic TV, you cast and you shoot week to week to week. Mm -hmm. um, every once in a while, you might cross board, meaning you will shoot more than one episode at a time during um, an episodic block by location, which is what film does. We right. shot everything in Montreal and then everything that needed to be shot in Washington, D.C. was shot. And then everything in Morocco. Now, is this including like several episodes? So like di different scenes from different episodes yes. are being shot in the same yes. time period. Yes. Interesting. So you had, there were four directors. Mm -hmm. um, and so prep, like usually what happens in episodic television is is you prepare, you have a week or two of preparation prior to the shooting of, uh, to, to, to production. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't do that um, with Jack Ryan because everything was happening simultaneously because you had, we had one month in Morocco. Therefore, everything in every episode that needs to be shot in Morocco must be shot then. Um, so there are reshoots, but we're not involved with that. So it was, it was very challenging scheduling wise. There are new rules for, um, for how this cross-boarding thing works. Um, and you have increasingly featured directors who are who are wanting to do television, which is really exciting, but the rules for casting is different. Right. You know, um, we can't pay people in television the same way that you would pay somebody in film. We can't just like own them for a project or something. There, are, There's a specific amount of time that you can have someone um, for an episode. And if we go over that, rule there they make a lot of money it's called winning the cross-boarding lottery so it was a lot of scheduling a lot of a lot of piecing together it also meant that our preparation was was different right. you know we're, we were looking at the first you know two scripts and before you know in our pre-production started making lists and, and auditioning roles that we found out would not shoot until like two months into the process because it was right. this is a new paradigm um that you know is increasingly becoming the norm so we're all sort of f figuring it out right. <laughs> but uh I, I have to say there's a an energy to the dailies i think um that is so exciting i'm jack ryan all, all of the locations and supporting roles and everything i'm really really proud of it again Fantastic. international absolutely <laughs> absolutely so uh, that's that's awesome that it yeah. was it's done so differently so it was a nice challenge for you in the way it was a little different of the casting process right um so you as you said this you think this kind of maybe got, got your point you went to casting associate what's what is the difference between casting assistant and casting associate for those that don't know well casting associate can get in the union <laughs> yay. yay benefits <laughs> yay retirement that's huge there you go that is really big um and you know this is the hollywood hustle podcast so that's, that's what we're about i mean i'm fortunate in that i'm married and could be on my spouse's insurance but you know my my friends and colleagues who are not it's I mean, it's a big deal for me to have my own insurance, but um, it's even bigger when you're single. And you know, I've, I was on the I, I, I was on the Affordable Care Act as well, and it's it's hard uh, working for you know low pay and no insurance. Yeah, That's what you do in this industry. <laughs> I've been there, man. Yeah, been there. 
Casting associates have more creative involvement. Also, we will we'll make lists of and uh, and often we'll bring people in to to audition. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more collaboration with the casting director, and they they often look to you or rely on you uh, to to come up with people to bring in or people right. to to put on lists. And that's, that's awesome. That's fun. Um, we also you know we'll we'll run the audition room. Uh, we'll oftentimes read with actors or run camera. Uh, we'll close deals for uh, guest cast. Right, so you, you get to do a little a little bit of like the negotiating, or is it more just getting the contract signed? Oh well, the contracts are signed on set. Okay. It's, it's more about closing the deal, okay, negotiating and closing the deal. Okay, so yeah. you do get to do a little bit of negotiating, right? With, with, okay, nice. With the yeah, with the guest cast, um, series regulars are done through business affairs, right? Um, and and because so much of the casting is like I said, I. Just about everything I've worked on has shot overseas, mm-hmm. so a lot of the guest cast is cast there, mm-hmm. and they they close sense. deals. Yeah, we'll that do would like make a handful sense. every episode. Oh, nice! Yeah. Very cool. Um, so now you're with uh, Bros Bowen Casting. Yes, and you're a casting associate with them, correct? Yes. Um, what What have you found is different from April Webster and Bros and the way things are done, or is it pretty much the same? Uh, uh, are, is it the same routine in a lot of ways, or is there any kind of differences between the two companies? Well, what I what I learned with um, all of the different casting offices I've been in is it's mm-hmm. the same job, and they're all done differently. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's about learning to every casting director's taste and and right. experience. Um, off the bat, the a major difference between Burroughs Boland and April is that Burroughs Boland is Victoria Burroughs and Scott Boland. They're a casting partnership, mm. uh, so it's. April would often have a co-casting director working with her, but it was still April Webster and Associates casting. Right. So it was, um, whereas Victoria's senior was Scott, but they're they're both equal equal casting directors. Right. Um, so having having two is is very different than mm-hmm. than really having one casting director sure. to work with. Yeah. So would the next step after casting associate would that be casting director or yeah. what what so so what I guess so casting director obviously kind of leads the charge yeah. and is the boss in a lot of ways for mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um is now with Josh is that something where you've kind of been the casting director yes. for all that stuff? How has that been for you getting to do that kind of work and being in that role? Oh, it's so great. It's so great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I try to practice what I preach. Mm-hmm. So we, like I said, we're, we're the, the, I'm the mama bear, you know, we're the mama bears for, for the actors. Mm-hmm. And I often say, you know, um, if you only rely on the, the TV and film work that you get at the beginning of your career, which is usually co-stars, like the one-liners, you're, you're not going to be creatively fulfilled. Right. right? And, and you cannot grow as an actor mm-hmm. if you are not stretching your creative legs and, and, fueling your soul like my poor little soul that was crying when I was a child right um so with more experience you gain confidence and uh um and and so when Josh approached me about casting some of his short films that was my opportunity Mm -hmm. to stretch my legs and um and have it be my taste (laughs) that I'm bringing to him and you know because his casting is collaboration right Mm -hmm. um and in you know at the studio network level it's not just you're not just trying to find the right person for the role. Mm-hmm. You're trying to find the right person in the eyes of the showrunner. If it's television, mm-hmm. sometimes it, the showrunner and the executive producers and the directors and um, and then the studio and the network. Everyone has their own idea of wh- what who 
is appropriate for a role mm -hmm. for various reasons, like the network has um, a demographic that they right. think they're catering to, um, which can be limiting or helpful, but you have to sort of understand these different perspectives and desires and interpret it right. and, and maintain your own taste and integrity. And so doing these, these other projects, like these independents, these shorts, these student films, I can really fuel my own creative soul. <laughs> so, yeah. Very nice. Um, can you just go real quick through like, what is from like, Hey, uh, uh, Beth, I have the script. Uh, I would love for you to cast it from that moment. What is the process? If you can kind of like just step by step a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I make for you good price. No. <laughs> um, I mean, I would, I would read it. Right. <laughs> no, I don't need to read it. I, was, I know what you need. I mean, I think, you know, it, it, it's, and I haven't done a lot of this. I have, mm -hmm. I have friends who've done a, a lot more than of this. Right. Um, I've really just worked with Josh and then like two student films. Um, if it's something that I respond to and believe in and think that I can contribute to and things are quieter mm -hmm. at work. I will absolutely jump on it and we'll have a meeting and figure out if we think we can collaborate right. work together creatively. I'd want to find out, you know, if, how it's funded, if it is funded, right. um, I'd want to find out your vision for the roles. We'd have a conversation about, we would basically create a breakdown. We'd have a conversation about all of the roles, what you see, um, in those roles and you know, basic information like, you know, gender, age, mm -hmm. things like that. And then also creative discussions about, who they are and the impact you want to have mm -hmm. the journey that you want these act these characters to go on right. then i would um i mean how detailed do you want to go i mean i just i just <laughs> generally like you know like the next step would be like breakdowns yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That kind of thing. so then so if i'm on board you mm -hmm. know i'd write a breakdown i'd have it approved by you mm -hmm. um and then i would release it on breakdown services and i would i would use both actors access and and uh also submit to agents and managers. Oh, uh, I would need to know if this was a SAG-ACTRA mm -hmm. um, show or, or project, I should say, right. which I would want it to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so you, you, you have the breakdowns, you submit. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you get replies mm -hmm. of, the. I think these people would be great. Um, I'm guessing the next step would be scheduling uh, auditions. Um, how do you like a room run? Sure. Um, I... I like to read with actors. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I feel like I can connect with them uh, and, and and get an, uh, gauge their energy if I'm reading with them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, though, it is nice to have a reader and sit back and watch because you'll miss things if you're reading. Right. Um, I I like it. I like actors not to be crowded in a waiting room i'd like them to have their own space if possible so if we have some time to well, not their own space but to have space mm -hmm. where they're not you know sitting like sardines in a waiting room and right. looking at tons of other people who look just like, like them yeah it's totally awkward um so if we have some time then i'd want to not schedule too heavily mm -hmm. um give actors plenty of time to work in the room if, if that's what the director likes to do i would i would always defer to the director mm -hmm. Um, in terms of giving notes and adjustments. And if we, if the director and I have a good rapport and I have an understanding of what that director is looking for, um, then I would make adjustments if the director was open to that or wanting me to do that and, and work mm. with the actors. Would the director be in the room with you or would you want to do it where it's just you or is that not a usual thing? Um, I, I, I love it if the director and even producers are in the room. Um, mm. It depends on the project. Yeah. If there are, 
if there are pre-reads mm-hmm. or if there are actors that I don't know, mm-hmm. um, but w- want to give a, you know, a chance to want to see, um, then sometimes maybe I would do pre-reads on my own mm-hmm. and then select a few people to call back with the director. Mm-hmm. It really depends on the director. Like for Josh, for instance, likes to be there for all of it, mm-hmm. which is great because during that process, I'm learning more right. about what he's looking for. Very often, I think um, the creative team will have an idea of what it is they're looking for, and that can change in the audition process. Or sometimes they don't really have an idea of what they're looking for, and, right. and the audition process can inform it. Well, there's so many stories, especially in, in uh, network TV, of like certain parts being written a certain way, oh, yeah. and then someone coming in and auditioning, and then going, "Wow, I didn't even see it like that." But that's perfect it's so it's so important because and that's that's what we tell actors all the time is don't give us what you think we're looking for we really truly want to see you yeah i mean if you don't get a part there are any myriad reasons why Mm -hmm. and it has less it's not because you're not talented Mm -hmm. it's but book the as many people say um, but i heard this from jamie you know book the room not the job we'll remember you right um, matter of fact, for Land of Happy Dreams, we cast um, someone that we'd auditioned for Altered Carbon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, she did a great audition. We brought her back for this. And she got this. Right. So it's kind of yeah. you never know what's going to happen. It's that don't burn bridges type right. thing. Do your best at any, every place because those people are going to remember you. Yeah. And no matter what. Um, what are some for you, some do's and don'ts of running a room? Like, what do you some advice for anybody? Maybe that's looking at getting into that or getting into casting, directing freelance for independence, you know, what are some things that are some helpful advice that they should do? And then some things like don't do this or don't do this and watch out for this. I'm smiling. I'm smiling (laughs) because because usually the question is do's and don'ts for actors of auditions. Mm -hmm. And now the question is do's and don'ts for casting people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. I would say, you know, make sure that the sound is working. That's a big one. Make sure that the card is clear. Uh, make sure that the camera is white balanced and focused and ready to go. That your lights are working. Um, usually, if you're an intern or an assistant and you're not experienced with this, you would set this up ahead of time with the associate. And then once it's good to go, it's good to go. Um, but yeah, I've I've had sound problems throughout seasons of uh, of casting a particular show. <laughs> so. Um, so sound is always important. I would s- always have um, sides available for the actors, um, have pens, pencils, highlighters available for the actors. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a job interview, and it's important that actors are prepared, but sometimes there are last-minute revisions that mm-hmm. they, may, they may not have. So if there are last-minute revisions, you should have big notes mm-hmm. um, above the sign-in sheet so they know that and you ask questions. Um, I mean, ask, ask, ask the actors if they saw them. Mm-hmm. Um um, I would make sure that the reader's binder is uh, is current. Mm-hmm. So anytime sides are updated, the reader binder is what the casting director or associate or reader actor that is doing the reading with the actors uses to um, to to read with the actors auditioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes we have it memorized at the end, <laughs> but, um, sure. but you know that you've highlighted the uh, other person's lines not the not the, per, not no. the character that's auditioning <laughs> so um um if if they're like producer sessions that uh the session sheets are flawless that there's water in the room it's the usual okay. stuff this is this is the stage manager stuff right now what, what are some mistakes people make uh running rooms or that maybe you've noticed or something that 
you know, is there, is there, are there things that could easily be happen that, okay, don't do this. Don't talk to actors like this, or don't, mm. don't, you know, you know, obviously don't have your, you know, don't be on your cell phone while somebody is oh, auditioning God. and things like that are obviously, hopefully obvious don'ts. Um, I mean, I would say that to be respectful of the actor's time, mm-hmm. um, if, if they're waiting 15 minutes, um, then I would just like if an actor is late, 15 minutes, we call the agent or manager. Where are they? Mm-hmm. If they're waiting to check in with them, you know, things happen. The showrunner calls, the, the network call, the studio calls. There's any, any fire that can come up well that has to be put out. Mm-hmm. Um, technical difficulties. I would say be respectful of the actor's time mm-hmm. um, and, and their process. So some actors come so, so to communicate with them. We're running late. I was about to say communication yeah. to yeah. me is such a huge thing. Always. Absolutely. Um, so I, I guess kind of to the two, my final two questions real quick. Um, what's your favorite thing about actors and what's your least favorite thing about actors? And look directly at Michael. Why, why you say this? <laughs> my favorite thing about actors is the fact that they get to experience history personally. I mean, really talented, well-trained, passionate, and, and, you know, and well-trained is, there's an asterisk there, right. you know, cause not everyone has the opportunity or the means and there's natural raw talent and you can train as you go. But people, people with a commitment to their craft, a commitment to technique, commitment to becoming better and better and better. These are brilliant people who who get to learn about humanity and society and and individuals in a way that others can't because they live it. Mm -hmm. They live it. And that's a gift to give to the world. I mean, this is kind of like a broad emotional answer, but it's the truth. There's an energy about these people that I can't get enough of. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we collaborate, Right. It's the best. So what's your least favorite thing? Like a pet peeve of yours that when actors are in the room or at castings or that they do or just something about actors that may just rub you a little. Pitch their web series during an audition. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, great. There's a time and a place. Yeah. I mean, in in, in L.A., it's tough because there's, there's, you know, this desire for fame. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because success and fame, the line is blurred, right? So to me, to be a successful artist, to be a successful actor, successful casting director, successful whatever it is that you're doing in this industry, mm-hmm. um, successful means able to support yourself and people see your stuff, right? Right. Now, we all want to be at a level where we don't have to struggle quite so much, right. where we can get the actors we want in our projects, where we can get the funding we want to make our projects. Right. And that comes with a certain amount of clout and, you know, conventional, a different kind of success mm-hmm. and fame is often associated with mm-hmm. that. Um, when it becomes all about ego and it's not just actors. Mm-hmm. Oh Lord. It is not just actors. Mm-hmm. We see this, we see this in all avenues right. of, of this, of this business and any business really. Um, I lose patience mm-hmm. and then, then I have to check myself too. You know, why, why do I want to do this? Why am I, why are all my eggs in this basket for this particular project? What is this really about? It's hard because in this industry, all you really have is your body of work. Mm-hmm. 
and that gets you the next job. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, ego is important because if, if as a casting person, you've cast certain recognizable, reputable people, that will help get you to the next job. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I think there's a good balance for both artists and, or I should say actors and casting people to do, like I said before, do your own work. Mm-hmm. Um, because like if I'm casting a play or if I'm casting a short, I can I can be as creative as, as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are limitations. You know, I'm not going to be able to get Tom Hardy. Right. <laughs> I mean, you don't know that. <laughs> Give him, put, cover his face, he's in. yeah but um that keeps you honest right yeah nice very nice thank you for that Mm -hmm. um one thing i know a lot of people are wondering nowadays we live in a modern era of social media and Mm -hmm. likes and followers and retweets and reposts and whatever Mm -hmm. um how important is a social media following when it comes to casting nowadays. Oh, you're going to see me cringe. You can hear me cringing. <laughs> I mean, I just want to, you know, there's a lot of talk about it. And we, you know, we have a casting uh, associate who's, ca- who you've also done some casting directing with Josh. So I just want to take that moment to actually ask, like, is it something you guys look at? And we're, we're on the list of check marks. Is it when it comes to casting? Depends on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, increasingly, it's important. Mm-hmm because it's all about money at the end of the day. This is an, this is a business. This is an industry that is all about money. <laughs> <laughs> and um, viewership is a huge part of that. So I have seen projects where a YouTube sensation that hasn't really gone through the ropes um, might be a viable candidate for an important and large role because it brings a following. It brings viewers. Um I try not to automatically shun that, even though I was cringing earlier, Mm -hmm. but I find it problematic. Right. Uh, I think, I I mean, there's definitely issues with it in the long run because the person that's better for the role may not get it. And and a lot of actors, a lot of those like real, um, you know, passionate, Mm -hmm. amazing actors are introverted and Mm -hmm. don't like to put themselves out there and don't, and do a terrible job of selling themselves. Some of my absolute favorite actors (laughs) (laughs) have a terrible time getting jobs because they don't sell themselves well. Mm -hmm. And I get that. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of poo-pooing it, but at the same time, like I have my own, like my, my independent um, passion projects Mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, I got to get on social media and start promoting and get the likes and, you know, because then maybe I'll get funding and, right. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. Like, oh. It literally is the worst. I, I, there's a part of me that enjoys social media. I do a lot of this. I do a lot of so much, both me and Michael do a lot of so much social media for the show. Um, and recently, especially since I have a little more free time, um, because Michael has a full-time job, which I'm somewhat jealous of. I wish I had. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've taken a little more brunt of that and really making sure to schedule and f- source things out. And there's a part of me that does love it. and But at the same time, I also hate that I'm like, how many likes do we get? How many, oh, yeah. What's the impressions? And what's what's this? And just there's part of me that does – there's a little death of me inside because of it. But at the same time, there is an enjoyment to it because I am such an outrovert. I'm such an extrovert uh, person. Um, so one, one, this is my last question. Um, mm-hmm. you know, people hear a lot about the acting industry when it comes to equality and, and general business when it comes to equality, what is it like in the casting world, uh, equality wise? Does it, is it, is it one of those rare where there is a lot of equality in it or does it still have this 
inch where women are not as taken as seriously? Oh, that is such a great question and an important topic that Mm -hmm. you brought up. I'm really, really glad you did. Um, I find the history of casting interesting Mm -hmm. because it has a lot to do with gender. Um, there's a great documentary called that I think I mentioned before called Casting By. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first half of the documentary shows the the history of this profession. And then the second half celebrates casting director by the name of Marion Doherty, who really changed how films are cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I learned through that documentary is that um, the first people in casting were the the secretaries mm-hmm. in the big studios. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would, they would write the lists and, you know, at that point people were, certain actors were attached to studios. Yeah, contracts yeah. and yeah, stuff exactly. like that. Yeah. And then, and then when that dissolved, um, a lot of these secretaries were, were the people who were brought on to do casting. Be- I think because of that, um, because of how women were viewed in, in our society at that time, in, in all aspects of mm-hmm. industry and in, domestically and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, there's this idea that, that anybody can do this job mm-hmm. and that it's not as important as other, and I'm saying in quotes, like direct, uh, directors, like right. if you wanted to call it director of editing or director of cinematography, director mm-hmm. of, of, um, of, uh, musical score, music composing, right. you know, um, Casting. So you you have a lot of women in this industry, and it's not mm-hmm. just because um, because of secretaries. Um, I think that a lot of women have um, an intuitive understanding of of people. Not everyone, mm-hmm. but but there are a lot of us, and I think intuition is a big part of of casting mm-hmm. and being able to trust that intuition. It's not just Absolutely. logic. It's yeah. It's not just, you know, ticking boxes. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a feeling that you have or you don't, and um, you, it, it can be cultivated and honed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a sensitivity you need. And, and, and I think that's not to say that men don't have that, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of women have gravitated toward that. No. So you see in this, you see a lot of women, a lot of gay men um, as casting directors, and you do see straight men as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it, it was probably a difficult trajectory for mm-hmm. me, like many of the bosses that I've had, women in their in their fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. um, who really had to work extraordinarily hard to be taken seriously, mm-hmm. and to have their um, advice and opinions valued by um, their equals. Right. So it's it's still it's an ongoing battle. Like at, at the end of the day. Casting is still kind of like the first thing on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a problem, casting is often blamed. But that said, um, there is there is more recognition and understanding of what the of what the job is. Right. I mean, there's there's skill, there's there's talent that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. I can't just pick up a camera and start shooting something. I can't just edit things. But there's this idea that anybody can cast. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for that. That was that's incredible. So, casting by is the name. Yes. Of, do you know where people can find it? Is it on? It was Netflix. Netflix. Okay, I'm not sure if it still is. All right, so check it out. Netflix probably on iTunes somewhere. Uh, probably on Amazon to at least rent, hopefully, or purchase. So definitely take a look. I'll definitely look for it. That sounds amazing. Now you mentioned something a minute ago off 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 mic that you, when you were young, uh, when you were younger, you would go to libraries. Right, right. You're asking about my like my trajectory. Right you know, my occupational trajectory, mm-hmm. how I got to casting. Um, I didn't know that casting was an option. Mm-hmm. I think had I, I would have gotten into it a, a lot sooner, right. but looking back, I can see it was always how my brain worked. 
um, yeah, when I was 14, I would walk to the library with coins in my pocket because this was before debit cards <laughs> <laughs> and uh, go to the Arcadia Public Library or to the Sierra Madre Public Library. And I would Xerox. I did this. I did this the entire summer after eighth grade um, and ninth grade. I would Xerox every article in every encyclopedia, book on acting, magazine. In, uh, I would look at microfiche and I would Xerox everything I could find on particular on actors I admired and directors. And I would make photocopies of, of all of these articles and entries. And I had three huge three ring binders that I would put these articles in, organized by actor and director. They were my binders full of money. No. <laughs> <laughs> they sit in a shoebox underneath your bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 what is this? It's my casting stuff. <laughs> I mean, it, it served me so well throughout my life. I mean, it, any any television show, uh, film, or, or theater piece of theater that I watched, I wanted to know everything I was to know about the people involved, who they worked with, where they went to school, where they trained, what companies they were part of. And that has extended through my whole life. Uh, So it's kind of that passion just led you to research Mm -hmm. and then grow from there, which it it must be exciting to learn, like, especially down the road, like this thing I've kind of thought about or wanted to do is actually something I can do and make money doing for a job. Absolutely. I mean, all of this, what I thought was useless trivia has actually been very helpful. <laughs> so. I'm still waiting for that day when my useless trivia can, can make me money. Just waiting for it. So any, uh, you know, kind of wrapping up any final advice you want to give someone thinking about getting into this business or someone that's already maybe started in this business or, you know, working with independent directors, casting for them, just any overall advice you have for them in, in the casting process and dealing with actors and all that fun stuff. I would say know who the casting directors are as best as you can. Um, research them the way you would research actors. Find out who casts, you know, for, for which directors frequently. Um, you know, we, like, like actors are often pigeonholed, comedy, drama, sci-fi, whatever. Casting directors can be as well, though, you know, hopefully that's changing more. Um, learn about their careers. Learn about their, you know, their their upbringing and their education, mm-hmm. um, learn as much as you can about acting so that you have a vocabulary mm-hmm. and that you can use when speaking with actors in the rooms, so you can give adjustments that make sense to them, mm-hmm. you know, that they can use sometimes it, that that's really helpful when it, when the director, um, or, or the creative team, if we don't have the, the director yet, the producers, um, they're looking for something specific and then we can sort of translate what it is they want to the actor so that they can try and play it. Um, so learn as much as you can about acting. And there's a, a listserv through the CSA, the Casting Society of America, and you can sign up for the listserv and you're emailed every casting job that's posted. So even if you have a job, it's helpful to um, to see who's looking for, for help. And then again, you know, who is that casting director? What do they work on? Um, and do your own work. Get out there as much as possible. You know, cast table reads. Um, if you don't have contacts for that yet, then I don't know, pick out a play and host your own table reads. See what actors can do. Go to theater. Go to film festivals. See as much as you can. Watch everything you can and figure out what it is that you like. Um, just get, Just immerse yourself in it. 
Nice. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for chatting with me for a little bit. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, I, I, you, that's some, you gave awesome information. Like I'm, I'm just thinking about every, I'm like, I'm going to take that. I'm going to do that. That's a great idea. That's great. So where can people find you if they want to follow you on Instagram or Twitter or I'm, any other place that you are? Yes. I'm on all the things. Uh, I think it's all like at Beth Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. I don't tweet very much, but, uh, I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> So follow her for her rare tweets. Yes. That, that means they're golden tweets when they're rare. Oh, it's usually a repost. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Beth, you're going to stay with us to talk uh, with Frack 2 with Michael. So thank you so much. And Welcome back, everyone. Michael here to host some outro discussion. We're going to be talking about more of what we took away from Beth's discussion. I'll be bringing on Daniel Tuttle here in just a second. But first, I want to highlight a project that Beth is currently working on. She has launched a Kickstarter campaign for a documentary called Feeling Seen. And what better way for you to learn about this than from the words of Beth herself? I've actually captured some of the audio from Beth's trailer for her documentary, Feeling Seen. Take a listen and get ready, guys, because it's only a couple minutes long, but it just shows the emotional power that this documentary has. I'm really excited about it. Daniel and I, when we saw it, we broke down into tears. So please take it away, Beth, and tell us more about Feeling Seen. My name is Beth Ryan, and I'm so excited to share this documentary with you. When I was growing up, it never occurred to me that I could ever have the life that I have now. Not being seen, not being visible, told me that I wasn't an important member of society, that my needs, wants, and desires were not considered because they didn't matter. The history of lesbians in, well, greater media, a lot of times it was very punishing. It was, yes, you can be queer, but this is not a good thing. This is not something you aspire to be. This is not something that you should want to be. What they would do is they would say, oh, we're going to do a series about an empowered woman. Play them as bi, and then realize they actually like guys. So what they're doing is they're actually apologizing for their true selves by appealing to what men want to see. Any le masculine lady is a predator, is a prisoner, is a gross, is a gross person. Like, I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm like an actual woman in my, you know what I mean? I was like pretty much certain that I wouldn't be able to live my life the way I wanted and that I needed to unless I was in prison. Just so you know, you are actually the second person today who has said they thought they had to go to prison. No, no, to I'm, uh, I'm, uh, really? Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. I thought that so was just me. Yeah. That's what it's about, yes, though. Yes. While television has the power to degrade and belittle and chastise and suppress, it also has the opposite effect. It can uplift, it can empower, it can embolden. And that happened for me. I just recently watched The Fosters and it blows my mind that that's on primetime. If that was on when I was a kid, then I, there was a lot of internalized homophobia, I think that wouldn't have been installed because there's role models, there's families that you look like a family I might be interested in building. You know, I've had every kind of experience from 
a, you know, a woman saying, you know, I finally was able to come out to my parents because of your show. And seeing the truth of that in her eyes, I mean, I'm reduced to tears in the aisle, you know, in the, in the meat aisle at Trader Joe's. I feel like TV saved my life in a lot of ways. You can find refuge in, like, in, in stories where you find your story reflected. This is our story. No longer are we satisfied to sit on the sidelines. We are here. We're ready to be seen. For the next few weeks, we'll be promoting the Kickstarter of this film on our social media. At the time of this recording, Beth has been able to raise $15,801 of her $50,000 goal. And as of the airing of this episode, which is going to be released on Tuesday, May 15th, that means she only has eight days left to reach her goal and to be able to make this incredible moving film and such an important film. So please click on the link of the show notes of this episode to find Beth's Kickstarter campaign and help support this amazing production. Now, let's bring in my brother who you've been hearing chatting with Beth Ryan all day today, Mr. Daniel Tuttle. They've been hearing it all day today? All day. (laughs) In case they've had to hit pause. I forgot it was a 24-hour interview. Exactly. (laughs) It's the longest interview that we ever did. (laughs) For the longest interview ever, Daniel, how do you feel? I'm exhausted. (laughs) Hi, everybody. How's it going, man? It's going good, brother. Uh, Yeah, it's going good. A lot of fun things happening with the podcast and... uh, not a lot happening on other ends, which is okay for right now, just because. Yeah, it's definitely. Nice I was, I was just about focuses. to. I was just about to ask, uh, what's new in your world? I mean, I know we pretty much talk every day, so mm-hmm, pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, nothing much really. The biggest thing uh, I have, I finally was able to sit down with uh, the HR lady uh, at my job and kind of like start talking about making it permanent and putting my kind of uh, hat in the ring for the permanent position. Uh, I know they've started interviewing some other outside people. So uh, I made sure to just kind of make it known. And I know she kind of talked to one of the executives that I'm under who was really was happy to have me uh, be considered for the position full time. So uh, I'm supposed to take some kind of like IQ slash personality test and then start some formal interviews. So here's hoping please send positive vibes. Yeah, man, that, it's so cool that you've been able to work with this production company. Um, anything happen over the past week that, you know, you you took some big learns from or because, uh, I mean, you work for uh, two of the top executives at the company, right? Right. I, you know, the, the biggest thing that I, I've kind of learned is you really have to stay up on things. So not expecting people to bring you the information you need to constantly not annoy them or badger them but always be in communication like mm-hmm. it's so important especially when it comes to financial stuff tax credits sag deposits things like that it's important to constantly be in co- communication with the people in charge of that so that you're all in the know and something i know they're really trying to fix right now is the visibility between production and creative and making sure that everyone's on the same page and everybody knows where everybody's at. And that's something that they're currently working on to be better. Nice. I mean, I know just in terms of an executive level yourself, that's kind of what you've been also trying to bring to our podcast team, Mm -hmm. just making sure we're all 
flowing as as smooth as can be and also communicating with each other about, you know, me on production, Arnobi on social media and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I, I can't stress how and I'm sure a lot of people have noticed this in their own jobs. If you're you're someone that's kind of aware of what's going on around you, how important just open and strong, continual communication is in any kind of joint venture whether it's a job or it's a film or any kind of collaboration, communication is so important. Um, and, and checking in and just seeing where everybody's at and how everybody's feeling. It's not always just about the job. It also needs to be about the people. And, you know, if people are being burnt out or feeling frustrated or tired, you need, to, if you're especially the person kind of in charge of everything, you need to be aware of that. And you need to be understanding of that and find the places where maybe you can take some of the, the, the load or find breaks in some places where you can say, hey, we don't need to do anything this week except maybe some minor stuff. So it's just important to be aware of that kind of stuff as well. And open communication will definitely help with that. I know. I am wishing all the best for you to be able to put, book this job permanently. And I know our supporters here who've been listening to us and stuff uh, are also rooting for you as well. So you got this, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the eye of the tiger, baby. Yes, exactly. How are you? How, how about you, brother? I know you've been, you've got the play and yeah. work and all like, so many things. Like how's everything going with that? So many things. I mean, lately it's just been focusing mostly just on med again. I mean, of course I've got my, uh, day job at the hospital, but you know, I think last time we I I spoke about the show, my friends had just been visiting town, so we took a week off rehearsal, uh, while they were in town. But you know, with with my friends out of town and everyone back and available for rehearsal, we've just been trying to start doing more runs of the show, which has been really nice. But for me, man, it's just lines <laughs> memorization is my least favorite part i i think of the process um mm-hmm. because i'm i'm just someone who naturally needs to just run it with the actual people so many times in order for me to actually quote unquote get it get it right in the same way it's, it yeah. has to become almost muscle memory like i could i could sit here in my living room in the apartment and read my lines over and over and over but that's not what the situation's like when I'm actually on stage performing well, with someone know, and, else. And being able to do the blocking at the same time also kind of helps with those markers with yes. lines. Mm-hmm. So and, and it and it just helps that the line and the movement to become one moment. And exactly. So I, that those those things are always important to me when when it comes to like rehearsing a play or anything else. Yeah. No, so I've actually been doing that. Um you know, you know, I have a pretty big living room. So uh, over this past weekend and stuff, whenever I found a moment that there weren't like my roommates weren't here, uh, that my roommates weren't home, I would just go in the living room and I would just start at a point in the play and just go and do all of my lines with the blocking. My only audience was my cat. <laughs> but uh it at least gave me a chance to say the lines out loud doing the motions um trying to bring the same amount of emotional 
uh, weight to the, to the scene and everything, but there's only so much that you can do when you're by yourself. Now, I know you, you kind of talked to me about how you were, I guess, feeling a little frustrated um, in uh, the re- relationship, not relationship, but in, in, in you forming this character uh, you're you're finding some frustration in how to make it your own and be real with it. How how is that coming along? And have you felt that you've been able to relax a little bit in that, or has that become easier? Yeah, I think the whatever wall that was that I was hitting with this character probably just honestly came down from the fact of I wasn't memorized, and mm-hmm. it's so amazing how once you're off book. And, you know, you're able to just be you on stage and not have to be reaching out for a line or anything when you can just be relaxed and stuff. Then the character comes, the moment comes. Um, In the past couple of rehearsals, Sean Fitzgerald, our director, has been giving me some amazing, like, you know, notes of like, hey, or and that goes with the cast as well. Like, hey, guys, we're at the point now where. I can't really be nitpicky because you guys have got it. You've got it good. So we just, you're ready for more and more runs. So that's kind of what we're doing tonight. We're doing another stumble through. And then uh, we're recording this on Thursday, tomorrow, Friday. We have our tech rehearsal from 8 PM to midnight. Tech rehearsals are so much fun. Yeah. And, and this is the first time ever though, that I'm doing a tech rehearsal. So far away from the actual performance because typically when you're doing theater you do the tech rehearsal right before you open within the yeah, same like week the weekend before yeah uh, the opening Wait, yeah when how how far away is it from the opening so our preview performance is sunday june 3rd and we're gonna be doing this uh on may 11th that's when our tech rehearsal is. But the reason why we're doing it so early is because this is for the Hollywood Fringe Festival. We're performing it at Studio Stage in Hollywood, and so many other shows are going to be happening at mm. that space that uh, Jen and Greg Crafts have to allot uh, tech rehearsal times for each production. Right, right. So they're actually helping us out by giving us a much longer time because sometimes you only have like a two hour tech uh, Mm -hmm. when when it comes to fringe, depending on where you are in the show and how ready you are for it. Um, So we're super lucky to be, to have this large amount of time. I know Sean has been meeting with the designers and stuff and doing uh, what are called like dry runs, dry tech rehearsals, which is no actors, just the script and the light board. And it's pretty much like prepping everything. Yeah, just prepping everything so that when we're there on Friday, hopefully it's less of a cue to cue and more of like a run of the show with minor moments of stopping for adjustments. It's, it's less creation, more correction. Exactly. Um, but speaking of the preview, though, I want our listeners to know if you live here in Los Angeles, tickets are available for Metagen on the Hollywood Fringe website. Uh, but if you want to come to our preview performance, it's only 60 cents. 60 cents? That's crazy. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's it's 60 cents that for this. That sounds like a steal. <laughs> Wait, what's the catch? 
um, <laughs> that, that you have to come and and support. They're giving them away. <laughs> I mean, so especially with Fringe, when there's so many shows going on at the time, it really helps if you get a packed preview. It just helps mm. with the word of mouth and just helps create a good buzz about the show. So we're just, you know, we're trying to to pack that preview audience. So if you live in Los Angeles and you're interested in the show that I've been talking about the past couple of weeks, uh, June 3rd, like I said, I believe is our preview performance and it's only 60 cents. And hashtag pack that preview. Hashtag pack that preview. But if you can't make it for our preview show, then uh, it's just $10 for the rest of the run. Um, and the, and if you guys want to check us out on the fringe website, it's hollywoodfringe.org forward slash projects forward slash 5394. And, and uh, later the we'll numbers. be telling you if you're new and you, you haven't really listened to us before, we'll be telling you how you can follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And, uh, if you follow Michael or myself, I'm sure you'll see all the information randomly posted over the next few weeks oh so random (laughs) (laughs) three in the morning this isn't going to reach anybody yes exactly um but let's (laughs) hashtag pack that preview (laughs) but i know uh how do i figure out this transition i know beth uh has talked about how she's done theater and stuff she's spoken with us at least off mic about it let's talk about our big takeaways from the interview first of all I have to, this is probably one of the most, especially the next episode, truest to forms of what I wanted the show to be in the mm-hmm. sense of how real and how even emotional we kind of get in the conversations. Oh, yeah. Um, get get ready and, for act two, guys. It gets super uh, real. So I, I it's uh, yeah. I mean, I'm so excited for this. And even this one. Was you know I even texted you when I was listening to it to kind of prep for the outro, re-listening to it. That this is truly such a different interview because we've had you know we've had Jazz Trison who did a reality show, uh, uh, non-narrative casting, and you know that's such a different monster than narrative casting. And just hearing the insights of the room and the relationships and and all that stuff is just it's it was so awesome to hear again. Yeah, as an actor. Any chance you get to listen to a casting director about their process and everything, it helps, at least myself as an actor, so much more. It kind of helps relieve the pressure a bit when, in terms of the big, scary audition and stuff like that. And it just, you know, they're another artist doing their thing. And it, it Beth is just so approachable and so, uh, so giving of her time and of her information. Just one of my favorite interviews we've definitely had here on the podcast. One of the big things I took away from this uh, that she kind of kept bringing in was keeping your artistic integrity in your work and marrying that with a vision set out by your fellow collaborators. So what that, what I kind of take that as is like, you know, especially her as a casting uh, assistant, she has her own integrity. She, she has her goals of what she wants to bring to the industry, what she thinks these, how she thinks these characters can be played and perceived, but she can't completely go off the rails. Um, She has to obviously take that into consideration, what the directors, what the producers have in mind for the show. And I think that's so important 
for any artist, but also any entrepreneur, whenever you're in a relationships business, it's so important to obviously keep your integrity, fight for what you believe in, push for what you believe in. And at the same time, though, you can't be uh, stiff arming everyone else that's involved in the project. You have to listen. You have to take in what their hopes and dreams are about the project and and em- embrace that with your own and find that magic balance where for casting, it's you're finding that perfect actor who represents not only what you're hoping for for this project, but what everyone else likes as well, what everyone else is looking for as well. Um, what do you, you think, buddy? You remember, you remember earlier when I, I mentioned communication? Mm-hmm. This is this is this is one of those examples. There there are always going to be disagreements in collaboration. There's always going to be different opinions and different thoughts and views and uh, 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 choices that you have to make together. And there's going to be moments where you're working as on the same tier with each other. And so you have to really just talk it out. And as me and Michael have done several times where you talk it out and find you each offer your reasons, you talk about it and you find either, either, either someone realizes, Oh, I get what you're saying. Your yours is more correct. Or you find a middle ground where everything kind of works together. But then you also have to remember when you're not the boss. And if someone is hiring you to do something, even though you may have your own opinions about something, which you should definitely offer and and suggest and throw out there, you always have to be humbled in the position that you're at. And so there's definitely integrity to a point until you real until you you have to understand, okay, this person is the boss. So I will accept this, but I'm I'm still going to maybe try to bring this person or something else, this my idea later on. And at least that idea has been given to them for future things. Yeah, it's it's so key. I mean like uh, I know one of the things we've talked about here on the podcast, going back to Met again real quick, was, uh, you know, the director having a, a, the conversation with me of like, hey, I want you to be able to bring your ideas to the table. I want to see your ideas for this role so that, you know, I can see if it works with my vision. And, you know, there's been many times in rehearsal where he thought it was supposed to go one way but I did something different and he liked that and he has encouraged me to keep pursuing that. But there's also been times where I've done something different and he, he got it. He understood why I did it, but he wants me to kind of go along the path that he kind of set out for me. So it's all, as you were just saying, Daniel, about communication and it's that nice positive exchange of ideas and stuff. And being able to be kind of objective about it and saying which one is better. It's okay to be, it's okay to be you and, and, and have your ideas and your thoughts, but there just has to be also a humbleness and an, and lack of ego in the way that options and decisions are made. You just said something that completely ties into my next point, which is what? The, no. Uh, yeah. Right. I see what you're doing. <laughs> Mr. Podcast I've gone host. To, I've, I've, I've gone to the Michael Lutheran class of transitions. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, it is the importance, though, of just being you, being yourself. 
and how booking the office will help you in the long game versus booking just that individual job. Um, now, could you could you kind of explain just real quick what that means? Yeah, definitely. So I think the importance of just being you is, you know, of course, I'm going to first take this as an actor and then just open it up more broadly. But how important it is as an actor in this industry to to walk into the room and just be yourself, be your most authentic best self. And what that means is not putting on a face for other people to like you. If you walk into that audition with the idea in the back of your mind of, oh, just like me, like me, like me, that's going to come off in your audition. Um, you know, some might call it desperate um, or that like, oh, wow, this person is just really wanting me to like them and I want to focus on their work, but that's kind of getting in the way of their performance. So it's well, just, I think, I think like Beth said, don't, don't give a, don't give us what you think we want. Yeah. Give, give us yourself. And cause that's what they want to see. Um, and, and that's the beautiful thing about actors, right? Is that we bring ourselves to every role and, you know, if they don't end up choosing you, don't take it personally. That's something else that I know Beth uh, kept bringing in is just like, don't take it personally. Sometimes it's just not the right fit. But and this ties into my next point of like why it's so important to book the office. Um, you know, Beth talked about how an actress auditioned for Land of Happy Dreams, the film directed by Josh Otter, and she really liked her, but she ended up not going with her. But she ended up casting her for this. I think it was uh, it was a Jack Ryan on Amazon or something. Actually, it was just, you have you. You have it a little backwards. She oh, auditioned okay. for altered. She auditioned for Altered Carbon on Netflix, and she didn't get the role. But she, uh, Beth liked her so much that she brought her in for Land of Happy Dreams. There we go. And that's just a wonderful example of how important it is to book the office. Rather, you know, show everyone your best self, your your best artistic integrity, what you can bring to a role. Um, and then, you know, whether or not that fits for that specific project. In the entertainment industry, people are going to keep on working on projects for the rest of their life down here. So if you can bring forward some artistic vision that jives with them, and if you don't work for this particular role, that's okay. You've made kind of a, an impression on them that they'll want to bring you back for something else. So that, that you want to plant that seed so that if for whatever reason, you don't work out for this one project, you can be brought in later. And that for me was just huge. It it kind of takes the pressure off of the audition process itself because it shouldn't be, oh, I, I need to book this audition. If I don't book this audition, then it's not going to go well for me down the road or, you know, no, open it up, have a bigger scope of it. This casting director is like Beth works for many people whether it's uh, independent projects or big, uh, big Netflix, Amazon projects, you never know who, what, what work they're going to do in the future. So you want to leave an impression of your best self with them so they can think about you down the road. Yeah, I mean, you want to go in and not just perform a character. You want to make an impression on who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go in and you don't give them what they want, what do you think they want? You give them something different and something unique that you found in this character. And even if you don't book it, 
But like, man, this guy is so versatile and gave us something so different for this. Let's see what he can do with this. And, and so it's all about, and we've said this, I mean, I can't even count on all my hands and toes how, how many times we've said this. It's all about relationships in this town. Building relationships, cultivating relationships, and and not just like what can you do for me relationships, but sincere, I love what you do, who you are relationships. Yeah, and those can just go so far. You you'll get Beth who you know talked to a friend of hers who got her a, a mentorship, and then got her an internship. Like it's it's about making sure you cultivate these sincere relationships to help you grow in this industry. I mean, it just makes me kind of think back to our very first guest here on the podcast, Kurt Mega. You know, you had worked uh, now. You guys had known each other, but he brought you in to work on his uh, film that he's been working on the past year or so. And then you guys continued to build that relationship. And then when we started this podcast, it it didn't feel like too much of an ask there because you guys knew each other. You knew each other's artistic goals and, you know, the, the integrity that you both lead with your lives. So So it wasn't much of an ask for him to come on and onto our show. Right. And, and I feel, yeah, it, it, for any of the people that we've had on that I've known personally, and I, I'm sure it's the same way for the people you've known personally, it doesn't feel to me. It's just like saying, Hey, can we hang out with microphones for a few <laughs> hours? And like, that's, that's pretty much. And then maybe if there's time afterwards, let's go get a bite to eat. Like, it's just, it's just you asking that to see your friend and maybe just learn more about them. That mm-hmm. may be something you didn't know before. And so it's definitely it's definitely something that's that's really cool to be able to have just in this, especially in the city, to have these relationships because you, you need that for your own well-being in the yeah. long run. Definitely. How about you, man? Uh, what was something you took away uh, from chatting with Beth for the past hour? Uh, you know, something that really hit me and it hit me again when listening again to the, to the episode is... Um, when she talks about how she was sitting at her table, her dining room table with her mom and dad, and she just had this like 12 year old emotional breakdown about how her soul was hurting uh, because she wasn't acting and she wasn't <laughs> doing theater. And she had this is like emotional early life crisis uh, when it came to theater. And, and I, I, you know, I was laughing when I was listening to it, but it started to think about like that, I, that, I, that concept of like listening to your body, listening to your, your heart and your soul and your mind and just being in, 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 in tune with all those aspects of you, because there's going to be times where you're going towards something or you're writing something or you're looking to audition for something. And you may get that like twinge of that something's wrong. Something doesn't feel right. Something feels off about this. And it doesn't mean that it's bad or it's negative in any form or fashion. But I truly believe there's pieces of everyone. There's pieces of puzzles in your life that you're trying to find as you go through. And you're trying to find that fit that makes sense. Like the fit of a, of a business partner like me and Michael. It just worked. You know, it, it, it was a nice fit. And it seems like that piece of the puzzle in our lives was meant to happen. Mm-hmm. And or or at least something about us aura or chakra or whatever you want to call it works. <laughs> and 
sometimes there's going to be things that are not in tune with you and who you are, what you do, what you want to do. And sometimes you have to do those things, you know, to push through and just not again, not negative uncomfortability, just doesn't feel right. And you have to listen to that. Or if you're not writing and you want to be a writer and, and something is just feeling empty and, and lost inside you, maybe it's because you're not writing and maybe it's because you're not acting. You know, it, it's, it's just listening to yourself and your own emotions and not ignoring them and just be like, oh, I hate this feeling, but going like, well, why am I feeling this way? Mm-hmm. What is it that's making me feel so stressed or frustrated all of a sudden when I'm usually not that person or why is this bothering me so much? Sometimes it's good just to sit down, meditate on it and just like, or talk it out with a friend or read a book that maybe deals with it and just see if you can figure it out, do investigation and just go, why am I feeling this way? And that's so important in this kind of business because it's really a path that you have to find on your own. And so you really have to listen to yourself to know if you're going the right way for you in the yeah, long run. And definitely. I just, it just, that just really hit me, even though it was silly and, and it was funny. It's just kind of like that idea of like that emotional, and again, that emotional passion to do this stuff, to be a mm-hmm. part of this, which I'm sure a lot of creatives have that like just it hurts their souls when they're not being creative. Yeah. And, and so it made so much sense uh, to me. I, I, I mean, what do you think, buddy? Yeah. I mean, that rings true so much for me. I mean, it also reminds me of one of our favorite movies that we oh, we keep bringing up here on the podcast, but Unbreakable, uh, directed by M. Night Shyamalan and Samuel L. Jackson's character has this wonderful line about, you know, I think I know what it is that you feel the the sadness and maybe the sadness that you feel is because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Ah, 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 gosh, that movie now glass 2019. It's happening. Um, it's happening, but what's your, what's your name? Yeah. First name, Mr. Last name. Glass. Yes. Um, but that has always been a line that stuck out to me ever since I saw that movie. And, for me, it's like you you have to ask yourself, like if you're doing your hustle and you're whether it's you're going to auditions every day or you keep, you know, feeling stuck when you're writing something. It's just like you have to stop and think about it, like, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Beth thought she initially was going to be an actor, but she really enjoyed the behind the scenes uh, por- portion of theater. And so she just kept kind of gravitating towards that and. I think it's so easy as an artist to resist changing or to resist what your natural inclinations are because you're, you've spent so much time thinking, oh, I'm only supposed to be this. And I think it's, I think what you just talked about, Daniel, it's so important to just sit down and meditate on it and think about, does this make me happy? Is, is there something else that's kind of, touches on what I think I'm supposed to be doing that actually makes me happy. Like, you um, know, case in point, we mentioned earlier Jazz Trice. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, since our interview with him, I've actually had a chance to catch up with him recently. Um, and 
he sh- he shared with me that he actually no longer is a casting director for reality TV. He's not casting at all. He's not in the industry. He just and I'd love to have him on at least as a maybe as a special guest in an outro discussion or something, but kind of talk us through that shift because he's now actually pursuing possibly going back into the medical field as maybe a nurse or as a doctor, but he just found that the thing that kind of was the through line was he loves taking care of people. He loves listening to people. He loves helping them get better. And with some of the projects that he was working on, he had to make some big ethical decisions of, I can't help this person. They're go, going through. Go back if you go back yeah. if you haven't listened to Jazz Trice's episodes. Uh, uh, while Michael's talking, I'll see if I can find what numbers they are. But the, the, talking, he did he did some work on like intervention and shows like that. And so hearing him talk about turning down people who were dying for help, yeah, is, li- is just literally people who needed help that the studio would offer, and he had to be the decision maker to tell them we're going forward with you or we're not. And for him, I think that having to be a part of that decision-making and stuff really, really hit him hard. And so it caused him to think about what it is, what is it that truly makes him happy? And so uh, his episodes are episode 24 and 25, 24 and 25. The hustle is always changing, guys. I think that's one of the big things that we keep finding on our show is how the hustle evolves. And so Jazz realized that he loves taking care of people. He loves helping people. So now he's going to try and pursue being a nurse or a doctor. He's going back to school. He's been spending a lot of time volunteering in like uh, with kids uh, in kid centers of hospitals, like kids with cancer, stuff like that. So he's just, oh, I love Jazz. He's such an inspiring person. But I mean, again, going back to your point, Daniel, it's so important to be in tune with yourself with what you're feeling in your heart, mind, and soul. Um, I think that's a perfect um, moment, though, for us to give our hustle support statements for the week. Hustle support statement. Woo! Listeners, if you do music or whatever, and if you want to come up with a jingle for our hustle support (laughs) statements, please send them over, hollywoodhustlepodcast.gmail.com. Send us a Dropbox. Send us a file or a Dropbox link. Exactly. But So Daniel and I are each going to give you a a hustle support statement for you to think about over the course of this week to help uh, support you as you, as you are going on your journey. Um, uh, And we found that this, our listeners are also really benefiting from this. So this is part of my favorite parts now of our uh, outro discussion. So I'm going to start off something that Beth said in act one really hit me in a profound way, which is that actors experience history personally. I absolutely love that because I feel like it captures not only what I or Daniel feel, but we as a community of artists experience through our work, whether that be dance, poetry, acting, or casting, we are all trying to process what it is to be human on this planet, and we all have a part to play in this story. So this week and next week, you are able to hear someone who's trying to share history, her story and that of countless others whose presence in our media landscape has been limited and strained. But not anymore. Beth is taking on society's history personally, and I challenge us here at T 
team hustle and you to experience someone else's history this week. Very nice. I, I, I definitely, I, I second that. <laughs> what, For sure. How about you, buddy? What do you got to say? Uh, my statement today is going to be brief as it took me some time to find the right words to say. In life, there will always be people who do not like you. Let me repeat that. In life, there will always be people who do not like you, either for something you do, say, are, love. The list of reasons can go on and on. But I want you to remember something. Others' thoughts of you should not control your happiness or who you are. Things they say or do are only small moments in the bigger picture of your life. So take haters with a grain of salt. The pain of their words and actions will pass, and you can continue the fun and beautiful life doing what you love and being who you love. I love that. Yeah. Be just be who you love and experience history. That's, you know, ex- or, you know, take in others around you. I, I, I love it. So um, we would love to hear what you guys thought about this week's episode with Beth Ryan. Uh, Daniel, how can people get in touch with us? Uh, we're on Facebook at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Uh, we're on Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast and Twitter, LA Hustlecast. Uh, on Twitter, uh, I am Daniel Tuttle. On Instagram, I am D Tuttle. That's T U T T E L. Uh, Michael is Michael Lutheran on both Instagram and Twitter. And you can also shoot us an email with your thoughts on today's episode at Hollywood Hustle Podcast at gmail.com. We, we definitely want to hear about it. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please like, share, tweet about this episode, and reach out to Beth at Beth underscore Ryan on Instagram and let her know that Team Hustle sent you and check out her Kickstarter for Feeling Seen. Yes. We also know that life can sometimes get busy. You you did book the office and the job. You're trying to finish that book, that screenplay, or just life happens. But as a supporter of several podcasts, you don't want to get left behind on ours. So, That's where our Side Hustle episodes come in. Released every Monday, catch a preview of our upcoming episode for that week, highlighting some of the great conversations that we have with our guests in the full episodes. The Side Hustle is there to keep you connected when you may not be able to listen to the full episode so you can join the conversation on our social media. Also, don't forget to share this and any of our other episodes with your friends, family, and fellow artists we're looking for some inspiration to kickstart their journey. If you've been listening to us for a while and would like to give to The Hustle, visit our website and on the bottom of our home page, you will see our PayPal button that will allow you to give either a one-time or a recurring monthly contribution that goes back towards the production of the show, but also the expansion of the Hollywood Hustle brand. And, and I just want to say before I move on to this last part, we've been receiving recently a lot of messages from new listeners and I, I i don't know if we mentioned this last on the last outro but that has just still been so cool just to hear who's finding our show how they're finding it and how it's impacting them yeah. and and that's just been so 
humbling and, and and inspiring to us. I know a few months ago, someone reached out to us who was listening to Trevor Algott's episode where we kind of discussed transition and kind of being lost and where your path is going. And somebody messaged us that they were listening to that episode as they were driving to Los Angeles to move here. And, oh, and they wow. were on that unknown path. And so, you know, you never know where the things you do creatively are going to impact and how they're going to impact people and at what moment. And so just hearing these words of, 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 of support and, and appreciation is just so humbling. And, and I just want to say personally, like, thank you so much. And if, if you're just finding this for the first time, let us know your thoughts. And, and if there's a certain episode that, that touched you or, or affected you, let us know so we can let the guest know. Yeah. Because they love hearing about how they're inspiring others. Absolutely. And and I'll say, like, you know, we love to give our hustle support statements to help you, but hearing from you is literally such an inspiration for us. So absolutely. Whether that's a tweet, uh, or a direct message, we we love listening. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. So please reach out to us. Um, let us know what you thought about the episodes. And there's also a special way that if you do if you go on our website and stuff uh there's some fun opportunities coming up for you daniel you want to tell them more absolutely now in case you're just joining uh our show for the first time or this is the first outro you've listened to uh we recently had uh, a guest on named alexandra boylan uh she is a producer actress creator uh she owns her own production company and she actually wrote a book and we are giving away copies of her book Create Your Own Career in Hollywood, Advice from a Struggling Actress Who Became a Successful Producer. We are also, one of those books is going to be a signed copy of the book, signed by Alexandra. You can listen to her interview in episodes 53 and 54 to hear more about her journey. But meanwhile, head over to our website, hollywoodhustlepodcast.com, to take our listener survey to be entered in this contest. But why stop there? when you can have two <laughs> entries into this contest. So to get an additional entry into the contest, you, you you can also submit a review on iTunes for the show, and we will add another entry into the bucket for you to win a copy of Alexandra's book. Now, just to let you know, if you go to the website, you'll there's a button on the left bottom part of the page where you'll see a button for iTunes, where you can go directly to iTunes to our page to leave a review, and there's a button that'll take you to the listener survey. And also under about the show on the top part of the page is a button for the survey as well. So definitely go take the survey. We're excited to hear how everybody feels about the show. Let us know. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of changes uh, brought to the show recently, and we're always trying to get in touch with our listeners and, and hear what you guys are truly taking away from this. So can't wait to hear from you guys on this listener survey. I'm, I'm excited. This is going to be going on for the next couple weeks, so definitely get in your thoughts now so that way uh, you can get one or hopefully two entries in to win this amazing book. Daniel and I have been reading it. It is fantastic. Um, it's a great now, book. Join us next week for an exciting roundtable discussion with Daniel, Beth, and myself as we discuss the importance of gaining experience by starting at the bottom. We discuss Beth's upcoming documentary, Feeling Scene, followed by a deeper conversation about LGBTQ representation in media, and we talk about some of our favorite casts of all time. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you, Daniel, for uh, being with me for this uh, amazing outro discussion. Always a pleasure. 
This episode is brought to you by Team Hustle. Daniel Tuttle is our executive producer. Uh, I am Michael Lutheran. I'm your producer and the sound engineer. Arnobi Day is our social media strategist and community manager. Gordon Meacham is our episode analyst. And Mike Tobias edited our website. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. And remember to just forget the haters. Be the person that you love. Experience history personally. And always remember to keep up. The hustle. The hustle. Bum, 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 bum. Woo woo. Yeah. The hustle. Get it. <laughs>